Chapter 27 of the Boy Scouts on the Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson. The Boy Scouts on the Trail by Herbert Carter. Chapter 27 Down the River. Conclusion. At that, there was a roar from the scouts that must have shown the officer how badly he had deceived himself. But then discovering the two desperate rascals of whom he was in search, apparently sitting there and taking things easy, how was he to know they were prisoners? Besides, he had eyes only for them as he came advancing into camp. A little too late, Mr. Sheriff, remarked Tad, advancing to meet the other. We found that, in self-defense, we just had to take these gentlemen in out of the cold ourselves. Besides, one of them was wounded by Sabattis the other night, and a second is a pretty sick man, so we're going to send them down the river in the morning with part of our force. Of course, the sheriff was greatly disappointed. To have his work cut out for him by a parcel of lads wearing the khaki uniforms of the Boy Scouts was hard on the officer, and Tad felt that Sheriff Green must begrudge them the reward that had been offered for the apprehension of the Yeggmen, and the recovery of the plunder taken from the last bank they had broken into. "'Tell you what we'll do, Mr. Green,' he remarked, as they all sat around the fire, with the three last arrivals enjoying a late supper. "'Suppose we split that reward for the taking of the hobos into three parts. One will go to you, as you gave us valuable information. Another we scouts believe we deserve, while the third I want our guides to share among themselves.' "'That's a generous offer, my boy,' declared the sheriff. "'Most people would think they had a right to it all, as you really do. I accept for myself and Posse.' And if you can take the wounded and the sick man along in your boats, we'll see that Charlie gets down there all right. Is it a bargain? Tad glanced around at his chums, and each gave him a nod in the affirmative. That settled the matter, for the silent vote had been unanimous. It's a go, sir, and we take you up on that, declared the leader of the scout patrol. Accordingly, they talked over the arrangements, and how they might meet again in the town where the prisoners could be placed in charge of the authorities, until the proper officers came to take them to Augusta. Giraffe managed to get Tad alone later on in the evening. The sheriff was feeling pretty good after his feed, and sat there by the fire swapping stories with old Eli, while the rest of the scouts lay around listening and laughing. I noticed that you didn't say anything about that other pile of stuff we landed under the stone in the old cabin, remarked Giraffe. That's right, I didn't, answered Tad readily, and I kept mum on purpose. In the first place, it was none of their business, because they knew nothing about that plunder, and if they knew that we had it, perhaps it might have made bad feelings. Just remember, and don't mention it. Of course, if Charlie happens to give the secret away later on, when he's with them, that can't be helped. I wouldn't think of denying it if they mentioned the matter right now, but I don't believe it's any of their business. Understand, Giraffe? Sure I do, and let me say I'm of the same mind, too, replied the other. I'll just try and let Bumpus and Stephen know, because you see, they're kind of easy marks and apt to talk too much. If that sharp sheriff ever gets a hint of what we dug up, he'll want to hear the whole story. Of course, with an experienced officer to look after Charlie, none of the scouts saw any reason for anxiety or losing sleep in fear of the desperate hobo breaking loose. Tad confined his labors to the sick and wounded. He had managed to accomplish that delicate little surgical job with a fair amount of success, considering his lack of experience. Kimball was loud in his praise of the boy's nimble fingers and ready brain. 
"'You'll sure be a great surgeon some day, Yonker,' he declared. "'That was as nice a job as many a doctor could have done, "'and I reckon I'm going to get well now "'and stand for that twenty-year sentence the judge'll hand out to me. "'I wish there'd been such a thing as Boy Scouts when I was young. "'Perhaps then there'd been a different story to tell about me.' Tad was sitting there listening to the talk when someone plucked him by the sleeve, and looking up he saw Sabattis. There was a glitter in the black eyes of the dusky guide that surprised the patrol leader. "'Get gun. Come long. Think here moose call again,' whispered the Indian. Tad was, of course, thrilled by this intelligence, but at the same time he remembered that he had promised Alan the next chance in case they had reason to believe a moose were in the vicinity." Accordingly, he spoke to the main boy, and then asked the others to kindly moderate their noise, though Sabattis had already told him that they would go fully a mile from the camp before answering the faraway call. Again did Sabattis seem to know where he wanted to wait to see if the moose was to be drawn near the waiting rifles. He settled down at a certain place and sent out the strange call that, heard in the dead silence of the main night, always makes the blood of the hunter leap wildly through his veins. There was an immediate answering call, and after waiting a little time, they once more sent a challenge forth. This was kept up for half an hour, but so far as Tad could see, no advantage had been gained. Sabattis was grunting now every time he called. Perhaps he began to believe this must be a mighty queer moose to send back that rolling defiance and yet not advance to any appreciable extent. No good, Bull he finally declared as they heard the answer come from some distance and in exactly the same quarter as before but if the mountain won't come to mohammed why he might go to the mountain tad suggested in other words chief what's to hinder us from heading that way with you giving him a call every little while he'll either have to run away or face the music then i guess huh just like tad say so bad us ready keep queer never know bull like that soon see as they moved along, following the guide who occasionally sent out a call, Alan took occasion to say to his chum in a whisper, He's some worked up about that answer, Tad, and I saw him shake his head. Come to think of it, I really don't believe it's a moose at all. What's that? exclaimed the patrol leader quickly. Are you trying to tell me Sabattis thinks some other guide is making all that row and trying to call a moose bull to the gun of his employer? Just what I think, and Sabattis does too, replied Alan positively. You keep watching him and see how he acts. This was a staggering idea to Tad. What if it should be the very man I'm wanting to see, to hand him my adopted father's important message, Mr. James W. Carson, he exclaimed. Well, the chances are that's just who it'll turn out to be, replied Alan. As they advanced, the calls became louder. Evidently, they were approaching the place where that mysterious bull moose had taken up his stand and dared the other on to lock horns with him in battle. Presently, Sabattis slung his moose call over his shoulder and called out aloud, How there, Louie! You do em pretty well. Fool me sometime, eh? Voices were heard, followed by a loud laugh, and then two men appeared, Tad having thrown on the light of his little electric torch. Is that Mr. Carson? he called out as the other approached. Just who it is, and who may this be? asked the hunter, who had another Indian guide with him, evidently from the same village as Sabattis, for they immediately got together and began talking in their own language. My name's Tad Brewster, and I've been sent up here by my guardian, Mr. Caleb Cushman, with an important communication for you. He tried to get in touch with you at your home, but learned that you had started for your annual winter trip into the woods of the big game country, and might not come out again until spring. 
Please take this packet then, Mr. Carson, and if there is any answer, I'll carry it back to my guardian. Mr. Carson sat down, and after looking over the important communication that had followed him so strangely into the woods, wrote out an answer which he entrusted to the keeping of the patrol leader. Then he asked many questions and was deeply interested in all that he heard concerning the Silver Fox Patrol of Cranford Troop. I'd like to go back to your camp and make the acquaintance of the rest of the boys, he remarked as he shook hands with each of the scouts in parting. But all my plans are laid to leave this section at daybreak. My guides are going to take me to where they promise I shall surely get my moose. You were lucky in having a chance at one. We came out here to make a last try, and were hoping our luck had changed when finally an answer came. But both Louis and myself agreed that the bull was the most cautious old animal we had ever met up with. And then, when Sabattis, with whom I have often hunted, called out, it gave us a shock, I'll tell you. So the boys and Sabattis went back to camp, and the others were astonished as well as pleased to know Tad had been able to carry out the wish of his generous guardian, and that they need no longer think of dividing their forces in the morning, leaving Tad, Allen, and Sabattis to continue the search, while the others took the two cripples to the nearest river town below. The night passed without any more exciting incidents, for which the tired boys thought they had reason to be grateful, for of late their sleep had not been as sound as they might have wished, and every one of them had much to make up. And besides, now that Tad had delivered his message to Mr. Carson, his mind was free from worry. With the coming of early dawn, they were astir. Every scout had his particular duty to perform. Two of them stowed the tents away in the smallest compass possible. Another couple began to pack the canoes, while Tad and Bumpus assisted in getting breakfast, or rather the latter did, for the patrol leader had his hands full in attending to his patients, Dick and Kimball. The sun had hardly appeared above the horizon when they were once more afloat. Again did the merry paddle send the sparkling foam toward the stern of each slender canoe as they headed downstream. Sheriff Green had declared that he would take Charlie about six or seven miles down to a place where he knew he could get the use of a large boat, capable of carrying four men and in this he expected to arrive at civilization not a great many hours after the others did. By changing the cargoes, it was found possible to carry the two extra passengers, especially since neither of them happened to be a large man. The boys were happy as larks as they swept down the river. They laughed, joked, and sang by the hour, because now there was no longer any reason for keeping silence since they were passing out of the big game country. But not near half of our time is up, Giraffe would remark frequently. And after we get these two cripples safely landed, why, we mean to make a fresh start. Alan says he'll show us another trail where we can meet up with a new lot of adventures, have some fine hunting, and see more of these great Maine woods. For one, I'm just hoping we'll run up against a pack of them fierce old wolves like we heard howling near our cabin that night. A bear is all well enough, but I've always wanted to bag a wolf the worst kind. Don't you think you're going to run the whole shooting match? remarked Bumpus significantly. There are others, Giraffe. Hello, sounds like Bumpus has changed his mind and feels like he had ought to own a gun of some kind, too, declared Stephan. That's right, he does, Bumpus hastened to declare boldly. If other Boy Scouts can carry weapons in the woods, I don't see why I hadn't ought to have the same privilege. My folks don't like the IG very much, but then a feller's just got to keep up with the procession. And it'll be the making of me, I guess, if something coaxes me to get out in the woods and walk miles every chance that comes along. Let's look at that fine little gun of yours again, Step Hen. If I only can get one, that's my idea of a clever shooter. And it don't wear a feller's shoulder out either, carrying the same. 
Glad to hear it, Bumpus, and I reckon you'll be able to afford a gun with all your share of the fat rewards ahead. If you say so, I'll go to the gun store with you and help pick out a good one. You really ought to have an experienced hand along at such a time. Tad and Allen exchanged glances at this remark on the part of Stephen, for they knew full well that his rifle had been purchased entirely through the advice of the patrol leader. Thank you, Stephen, Bumpus was heard to say sweetly in reply. I'll be only too glad to have you along, but I've got one important piece of business to look after the minute I get ashore and within reach of a telegraph office. If it busts my pocketbook, I'm sure going to send a wire to our bank cashier and ask him if I did deliver that letter my dad told me was so important. Why, I should think you'd rather send the message to your own house, Giraffe suggested with a wink toward Tad, for the canoes were all close together at the time. Me? exclaimed the stout scout, drawing in a long breath. Well, now, I'd just be afraid to hear the news from headquarters, you know. What if they had lost their lovely home and all because of my stupid forgetfulness? Do you think I could stand it to stay up here weeks longer having fun? No, I've got it all mapped out and know just what I want to say to the cashier. And believe me, I'm hoping for the best, fellers. Have a little pity on me, won't you? We do feel for you, old fellow, said Step Hen, who was drawn toward Bumpus more than ever, on account of this unconscious flattery regarding his new gun. And besides, boy though he was, he could see that the other was really laboring under a heavy strain and actually suffering from the pangs of remorse. What the number of miles might be they covered that day, no one dared even guess. But although they fairly flew at times, owing to the combined work of current and paddles, another night had to be spent on the way. But about noon of the second day, they realized that they were getting on the borders of civilization again. A dog barking was the first sign, and then came the clarion crow of a barnyard rooster. Afterwards, a house appeared, then several more, and far beyond the spire of a church reared itself against the clear heavens. Bumpus looked frightfully pale for him. He knew that the time had come when he might learn the facts as connected with that letter, the disposal of which he had never been able to solve since the more he tried, the greater became his confusion of ideas. And about the hour of noon, the canoes were turned in toward the shore, for they saw the town of Grindstone before them, with the railroad leaning southwest in the direction of the homes that were so far away. Hardly waiting for the landing to be made, Bumpus got ashore and was seen hurrying off into the town. They knew that he had in mind the station, where he could send off a hurry message, and Step Hen, receiving a word from Tad, hastened after the fat boy, so as to make sure he did not get into any trouble. Once at the station, Bumpus, who had made a rough draft of what he wanted to wire the cashier, gave it over to the keeping of the agent and asked that it be sent at once. He would sit down and wait for the answer. The clicking of the nimble telegraph key was about the only sound that disturbed the silence in that station, for trains were evidently few and far between on the Aroostook Railroad. It may have been an hour that dragged past, and it may have been much more. Bumpus declared he had aged terribly since coming there, and Step Hen tried all he knew how to keep the other's spirits up. There, he's taking a message right now, and it may be for you, Bumpus, he said. A minute later, the operator came toward them, holding out a yellow paper. Here's the answer from Cranford, the telegraph man remarked with a smile, and Bumpus could hardly take the sheet, his hands trembled so terribly. Less than ten minutes later, a very stout youth, clad partly in the uniform of the Boy Scout organization, might have been seen running wildly down toward the river, followed closely by another, evidently belonging to the same patrol. 
and as bumpus ran he was waving above his head a yellow sheet of paper while he let out frequent roars that seemed to be fashioned on one key and that of joy she's come fellers was the burden of his whoops and i did my duty all right just like i always said i must a done he says i delivered the letter that morning when i met him on the street that makes me happy and i'm ready to buy the best gun i can get in this town and stay up in the main woods a whole month if the rest of you want me to they did stay some weeks longer and met with a series of strange adventures that some of the boys believed really excelled those that had befallen them in the penobscot region what these happenings were and just how tad and his five chums acted their parts most manfully in the face of many difficulties will be found recorded in the pages of the next volume of this series now published under the title of the boy scouts in the maine woods or a new test for the silver fox patrol by the way bumpus remarked tad later as they sat around taking their ease did the cashier tell you what the nature of that communication was and did it turn out to be so dreadfully important bumpus grew red in the face and grinned oh shucks i suppose you all have just got to know he remarked it was only a line from my dad telling the cashier he had lunch with him that same day and take him out in his new alco car you know my dad's the president of the bank but he's been sick at home for a long time and had to get a car to take him out in the air but who cares for expenses give me two cents worth of ginger snaps i'm feeling fine right now and can afford to laugh at all my silly worrying might have known a scout wouldn't do such a silly thing as to forget an important message shucks step in let's go around and see if we can find that gun anywhere i've got the money to buy it all right of course the boys understood that the pretended anxiety of bumpus in connection with trouble coming to his family through carelessness on his part had all been put on but what he had feared was the reproaches of his father who had long been trying to cure him of this same fault the two injured men had been handed over to the proper authorities and a doctor was even then examining what tad had done for kimball you owe this lad a lot of thanks my friend the doctor said he certainly has done a very neat job in uniting the lips of that artery i'm afraid you'd have passed in your checks for a certainty only for the prompt first aid to the injured which you received and tad felt amply repaid when he thus learned that after all his crude work had not been so clumsy as he had feared at the time to dispose of the three hobo yeggmen it might be stated that they were eventually sentenced to various terms in the penitentiary the reward which had been increased to two thousand dollars was paid over to the boys and by them divided just as tad had proposed and everybody seemed more than satisfied but of course that was only a small part of what was coming the way of the six scouts tad soon learned that the bank recently robbed had also offered a reward for the recovery of the bonds that had been taken and this eventually fell into the treasury of the silver fox patrol then there was that other plunder which had been found under the stone in the old cabin of the trapper away up the river in the big game country doubtless the plundered bank would be delighted to pay a big sum for the return of those valuable documents not to mention the cash that had also been recovered tad did not have the time just then to open up communications for he wanted to be off with his chums on another trip in a different direction and one that Allen had wished they could take at the time they were compelled to follow on the trail of Mr. James W. Carson. So Tad placed the sealed packet in the safe of a gentleman whom Allen chanced to know right well, and who promised to open negotiations with the robbed bank while the scouts were up in the woods. I'm pretty sure, the gentleman remarked, 
that there is a very nice sum offered in this case, and if so, you lads are to be congratulated indeed. It means a trip out west next summer for our whole patrol, and a hunt in the wild rock mountains, declared Bumpus, who was now wearing a perpetual smile because of the good news he had received from Cranford and it turned out that they did receive a splendid purse from the bank people who were overjoyed to get back papers that were of tremendous value to them even if of little account to others what this amount was there was really no necessity of telling but it was enough added to all the rest they received to make the six boys the happiest fellows in all the great state of maine and doubtless even before they knew to a certainty just what they were going to receive it can be set down for a fact that they would start out on the second half of their vacation in the Maine woods with lighter hearts than they had known for many a day. End of chapter 27 Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson End of The Boy Scouts on the Trail by Herbert Carter